A gracious good afternoon. This is Miss Tomlin of the telephone company. Do I have the party to whom I am speaking? TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend to you, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and we are ably accompanied by our buddy at the board. We're talking about tall guy Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne, and I guess I couldn't get away from Friday the 13th because I accidentally replayed the <laughs> intro of the show with bad luck from yesterday. There you go. It's not bad luck. It is fortuitous because when you have that funny bit from Lily Tomlin's laugh-in days, does it not apply to calls from heaven? <laughs> it does. It does. And that's the subject today when we talk to our one of our favorite guests. But in the meantime, how are you today, Nathan? I'm doing well. It looks like that smoke is starting to clear out. We're getting some winds coming off of the ocean and blowing it away from us. So happy to see the skies are clearing up now. Good. Good. Okay. And we're dodging our uh, a hurricane bullet down here because uh, the uh, tropical storm Fred went into <laughs> a tropical depression and now it's just a big wave and it's going to head off somewhere into Alabama or Mississippi. So And we feel we bad for saved. them, but yeah. you know what? We dodge this bullet every yep. year. We go through this multiple times Yes, as we reside in Sarasota, Florida on the Gulf Coast. And yes, it just is that way. And, you know, there's a little bit of guilt involved because somebody else is going to get it. Well, we're not. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when you were a kid. Haven't we all been through this when, you know, somebody else is getting the licking you thought you were going to get for being a, a neighborhood miscreant and somehow you didn't get punished and you feel this schadenfreude, a shameful joy over the fact that you're not the one being punished until you are. There you go. <laughs> the law of karma balances it all out. <laughs> oh, we're so happy today to have Josie Varga back with one us. One of our most favorite guests. Josie Varga is a former magazine editor and communications consultant. Her life changed course when she received a validated dream message from a man who died in the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center, which is now 20 years ago. Forever transformed by her experience, she embarked on a spiritual journey as she vowed to help others understand that life truly never ends. She has written many books to that um, topic, and we are going to talk about her books and her stories today, and we are happy once again to welcome Josie Varga with us. How are you today, Josie? Good, guys. How are you? Good. We're doing very well. This week, I would think you were doing especially well. And why Tri would that be, Gary? Triumphantly so, because Josie Varga and her wonderful husband, John, and I believe his name is pronounced Tropiano? My, my maiden name is Tropiano. Oh, so you oh. became a, a Varga via marriage. Yes. A Varga via the vows. I yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah. You, sell, you and John are celebrating this very week your 25th wedding anniversary. Wow. wow. Congratulations yeah. to you both. Now, thank you. It doesn't feel like 25 years, you know? I, I had to do the number over and over again 
and add it because it didn't make sense 25 years, you know, that went fast. And you posted a picture of your wedding. It appears to be immediately after the ceremony as you're making your way back down the aisle. And if you look, if, if people who know Josie, you're in on this with me here, you look at Facebook, you look at that lovely picture and looking at two sets of eyes there, the expression on their faces is, wow, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guy. John didn't smile, if you notice. John had no smile on his face. He's like, ah, what did I just do? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. That is ah, a, thank a, you. a wonderfully a big number and uh, kind of rare in today's culture to be with somebody for a long time like that. So very ah, good. Absolutely. My mom and dad have been together over 60 years. Oh my goodness. It, it takes a little bit of work. It just doesn't happen by luck, does it? Oh, sure it doesn't. It's, uh, it's you know, you constantly have to work at it. You know? Before we get into the meat of the metaphysical matter this hour, I did want to ask you, Josie, and this is by way of encouragement for anyone who thinks that it can't be done. How many, you can round off if you want, Josie, how many of your friends and coworkers and other mm -hmm. associates have asked you that crucial question, how do you do it? Maybe somebody uh, said, I was married for two years and it was a struggle every day. How do you is, do it? Uh, you know, I, I guess the thing is you have to keep the line of communication open. And with any marriage or any friendship, you know, like I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago, to be frank. You know, yeah. I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. So you constantly have to, you know, rediscover each other. And, mm. you know, and accept the good and the bad. But the, the thing is, you have to keep the communication open, you know. And I'm not saying there's no arguments, because if I said that, I'd be lying. <laughs> but, you know, you, yeah, you got to very... keep you got you got to find ways to keep the love alive, you know. Well, very and, good. And you managed to do so. I yeah. still look forward to the time when Suzanne and I will have the pleasure. It may be in Florida. Who knows? It may be in your happy haunt there in New Jersey. Or we could meet up in Atlantic City where I don't know what the buffets are like now in the era of COVID. But we have sworn a vow that we're going to get together with you and have a fine Italian meal that doesn't mess up your own kitchen. That's funny you say Atlantic City because that's where we went for our 25th. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We went to see, um, it's called a Legends concert. And they mm -hmm. have like Michael Jackson, Michael Bublé, you know, Whitney Houston. They have people like that performing on stage. And it was, it was really enjoyable. I enjoyed it. But Atlantic City is like almost like a ghost town when you go check oh, in. Oh, really? It's like, a, it's like a kiosk, you know, you go in, you go up to mm -hmm. a machine to check in. It, it's strange, mm. you know, the, the yeah. age of COVID. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Vegas countless times and lived there for five years myself in the mid to late 80s, moved out of there in 1989 when I moved to Seattle. And I saw signs of a depersonalization, but nothing to the degree that you are describing with Atlantic City. I feel like as regards Atlantic City, I sort of missed out. Uh, well, I don't think it, I think it's going to get better. But to give you an example, we called the customer service desk, you know, the front desk. Nobody answered. It was crazy. I mean, when have you ever called the front desk and didn't get an answer? So, yeah, especially when it's dedicated supposedly to customer service. 
I know, right? But we did we, we did have um, a wonderful time. But things are definitely different. But I, I hope we can eventually get back to some normalcy. Yes. I still yeah. want to meet you. I still I want to meet you guys there. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's it's on our bucket list. It's on some <laughs> one of the things that we want to do is meet you there, even okay. if it's a ghost town. You know <laughs> the bucket list that you put together with that bucket is some room at some remove from where you're standing is one thing, but that bucket is just making its way closer. So with each <laughs> passing year, so we better get on it. <laughs> yeah, really. I hear you. And that takes us to the metaphysical heart of this hour. The bucket gets closer. It's like it grows legs and it gets closer to us. You have specialized in afterlife communications, really proof of life after death, if we're going to state the matter broadly. You've done it with a series of books and you have a book that has come out only recently. Why don't we get started by giving you the opportunity? And we do a marketing piece at the bottom of the hour after our ads anyway, but let's just kick this off by asking you about the reception to your latest book. What's it called? What's the focus? I know what it is generally, but more narrowly, how would you describe your latest effort? The one that was just published or the one I'm working on? The one that just got published. Okay, uh, well, A Call From Heaven is about deathbed phenomena. Um, and to me, that was pretty remarkable working on that book, you know, because people say, well, what, what do you consider the greatest proof of life after death? Well, but to me, working on that book was like, oh my God, you, you don't even imagine what people are experiencing on the deathbed and how frequently these things happen. And let me give you something that just happened. My husband's uncle passed away. So I was talking to my aunt and we're on the phone and she said to me, his uncle Lester could not speak for the longest time, okay? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he suddenly coherent, he suddenly can speak. And she said, one of the things he said was he was talking to people who were deceased. And she said, Josie, I was in the room and he was carrying on a conversation with all these people that died. And I actually had to remind him that I was in the room, you know? So, so she was asking me about that and how common that actually is. Um, so that's what the book, that book was about. It's about deathbed experiences and how people carry conversations with not just, you know, deceased, the people who died before them, but angels and religious figures and, and things like that. And there's a term called terminal lucidity. And that's what I, what I said to John's aunt. I said, what you experienced was something called terminal lucidity, because right before people are set to cross over, they suddenly become coherent. Not always, but in many cases, they suddenly become coherent. And that's exactly what happened to John's uncle. And he was able to say his piece, say goodbye to his, his wife, and then he passed away. And, and you know what I find very interesting? She said, he asked her, when are you coming? Are you coming to see me tomorrow, right? And she said, yes. And he said, what time? And she said something like nine o'clock. And his response was, no, 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 don't come then. Come a little later. And he passed away right before she got there. So I, I really think that he knew 
you know, he knew his time was coming and he actually knew when he had an idea of when he was going to cross over and he didn't want his wife to be there. And that happens all the time. Yes, that does happen frequently. We, we've heard that before. When you were talking about that phenomenon, I was wanting you to spell it in case people want to look that up. The, the uh, deathbed phenomena? Right. That. One that has the long, complicated word. Oh, a terminal lucidity. Yeah, how do you yeah. spell that? Terminal, it's T-E-R-M-I-N-A-L, lucidity. L-U-C-I-D-I-T-Y. Okay, yeah. terminal lucidity. It's interesting. Um, I was thinking of my, my grandfather, my mother's father came to visit us when two weeks before he died, it was a very arduous trip. My, my grandmother had dementia. My grandfather was physically uh, not in good shape. He had played in a brass band for many, many, many years and had completely lost his hearing. He, he just, he couldn't hear a thing. And he came to visit, it was important for him to make his goodbyes, even though we did not know that's what he was doing. And so he and my grandmother came, they were supposed to stay at least two weeks, but after one week, he said he wanted to go back home. And what was so strange is that he had been deaf for decades and in the in the uh, last day or two that he was with my mom and I, he could hear everything. <laughs> and I'm saying now, how can that be? How can that be a man who was deaf for probably 30 or 40 years can suddenly hear you whispering across the room? I mean, um, it was yeah. very odd it for is him odd. to get his hearing back. It, it's odd, but when you take things into perspective, Suzanne, yeah, um, you have people take people who, in the case of dementia or Alzheimer's, right? Yes, and the the disease is chipping away at the brain, right, to the point where there's no brainstem activity, right? Okay. But yet, a lot of these people that have dementia or Alzheimer's can suddenly speak to their parents or whoever can suddenly remember who they are and say their goodbyes, but the brain doesn't change. It doesn't like it, it isn't like okay the the brain cells suddenly rejuvenate you know right the, the brain right. is still not there okay yet they are able to communicate right before they pass why is that well I'm I'm thinking it's non-local consciousness right that, that there is the mind that exists outside the brain is that how you would uh, also say that I I you know. Definitely, but why is it that we are allowed to say our goodbyes? Oh, yeah, you know? that's true. Think yeah. about, you know, think about that. Yeah. It's not just a question of, well, you know, consciousness is outside the brain, which, by the way, it certainly is. Okay, because mm -hmm. if if consciousness was limited to the brain, then when we die, that's it. And in the case of people with Alzheimer's disease, how do you explain that? Okay, how are they able to communicate? But for me, it's also a question of why are we allowed to say that final goodbye? Why mm -hmm. in the case of my um, husband's uncle, right? Right. He wasn't able to speak to his wife 
for the longest time, then all of a sudden he's able to speak, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know, don't come tomorrow at that time, come later. And then he passes away before she gets there. Is that just mm-hmm. a coincidence? I don't think so, you know? And that's one of the things that I, um, you would say discovered while I was writing that book. A lot of people are able to determine or pick when they want to leave this earth. Okay, there was a, a story about um, a man who was like, couldn't talk, you know, nothing. He had like a, a voice box in order mm-hmm. to speak. Okay? okay. And through his, he wanted to, you know, take, be taken off life support. Okay. He wanted to be taken off life support. So he got permission to do that. Well, he was saying something through the voice box. And then they finally figured, he said, they're coming for me at, I think it was five. They're coming for me at five. And the next day he died exactly at that time. So how, how is that? You know, because they took him off the machines at like 10 o'clock. Typically you don't last from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Right. But, you know, right. but in, in his case, he lasted all those hours and he ended up passing away about 5 p.m. Exactly when he said he would through the voice box. Do you think when people are getting to near the end of their lives that somehow they have access to more knowledge from the other side? Uh, that's a good way to put it, uh, because we certainly do know more from, like, how do we know when we're going to die? I think as we get, you know, to, to the end of life, okay, the spiritual side becomes more active, you know? Oh, okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. And, and so in that way, we do have access to more knowledge than we did before. We understand more than we did before. And, you know, people always ask me, do we, are we ever going to fully understand, you know, how mm-hmm. life really works and the spiritual side of things? Maybe not, but I think in studying the non-physical, we will come to understand the physical, not the other way around. And That's a hopeful that, note. Yeah, very good. You know, and that is something that Nikola Tesla said all the time. And he was absolutely right. Mm. I have a story I would like to tell. My mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, was on her deathbed. One of my mother's cousins was in the room with her. And after my grandmother passed, my cousin let my mom know that hours before she died, my grandmother extended her arms and seemed to be addressing people not in the room addressing spirits, let's say. And with mm-hmm. her arms thus extended, she said, wait for me, I'm coming. It's like her ancestors had come to pick her up mm-hmm. and she wanted to go with them. And she expressed the desire, the commitment to joining her family. And so she was there with her arms extended and she didn't pass at that moment, but very soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. We thought that was truly bizarre. Wow, that's a story that ranks high up in the family lore, you know. And it turns out this is quite common. Very common. Very common. 
and it doesn't necessarily happen uh you know let's let's say you see your deceased loved ones it's not necessarily moments before it can happen weeks before it can happen months before uh as an example my grandmother died of a massive heart attack and after she passed i was having a conversation with my mother and my mother told me that my grandmother told her that her father was in the room and, he, and she said anna do you do you see him you know he's in the room and my mother you know and everybody else in the room couldn't see him but then we found out that two weeks prior to that she told my cousin that my grandfather had come for her two weeks prior and interestingly she wasn't sick two weeks before I mean, we had no reason to think that anything was going to happen at that point. She ended up having a massive heart attack and she passed away. Hmm. Well, that's, that's interesting, it, like a premonition almost that yeah. she, even though she felt good, she kind of knew there was an exit point somewhere. And, uh, it's, it's and, and it also has something to do with time too, Josie. The time was mixed up. You know, they talk about having no time, no linear time on the other side. Well, you know, here's a case of uh, anticipating a future event, but she's treating it like it it already happened. That he I, came I don't, for me. I don't, I don't know if my grandmother knew, you know, obviously she didn't tell anybody about this except for my cousin who told us later. But when she saw my grandfather, I wondered, did she, did she think, okay, I'm, that means I'm going to die soon? Did she know she was going to pass? And I personally, I think she did know she was going to pass because when she finally went to the hospital, she told my mother to go home. My mother, you know, had been up with her all night long and she said to her, Anna, go home. You know, it's okay, go home, get some rest. And my mother had walked in the door. I never forget this. The phone was ringing. It was the hospital letting her know my grandmother was coding. My mother had to run back to the hospital. So again, as soon as my mother left, my grandmother, you know, started her journey to the other side. And I don't mm. think any of that is a coincidence. There's another story in A Call from Heaven, uh, one of my favorites. A guy named John was sick, you know, uh, it, he had, you know, symptoms of a cold. And his wife had called him from work asking him how he was feeling. And he said he was okay, but uh, I mean, I'm at the dining room table, he said, and there are people around me and they're all dead people. And his wife, when I was speaking to her said to me, you know, I thought he was just delusional. I thought maybe he was taking too much medicine and imagining things. And later on that night, he had, they, you know, they had dinner, they had ice cream, they went to, you know, they went to bed. And at one point he got up from bed, he went, something he did all the time, she said he would get up and he would go get Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the middle of the night. So he ended up getting up, going to do that. He gets back, he sits at the dining room table, he fell off the chair and died. So, but he had told his wife that he saw deceased people uh, going around the dining room table earlier in the day. Again, coincidence? No, it happens far more than people realize. My girlfriend's mother 
has been seeing deceased people in her apartment. And I said, we'll find out if she knows any of them. And the answer was no. And I said, well, what ages are they? And she said, every age from children all the way up to very elderly people, but nobody that she recognized. And she was surprised that my girlfriend didn't see them. Don't you see them? They're standing right there. And apparently nobody was sitting. They were all standing in her apartment, but there were dozens of them. And that was weeks ago. So while in the moment it might have looked like perhaps she was going to make a transition, it didn't happen at that time. Have you heard of, of people visiting, spirits visiting, but the crossing over not happening for a period of weeks or months after that? Yes, uh, very, very often. There's a story, there's a, a nurse's forum. It's called allnurses.com. And they talked about a story of a woman who described deceased people in her room. But then she said something that was interesting. She said that they told her it wasn't her time. Okay. Mm. And even though everyone in the room, the doctors and nurses expected her to pass away, she didn't pass away till months later. Ah. So again, why was she given more time? And it's interesting when you say, um, you know, most of the time when you do see people, deceased people, you do know who they are, okay? Right. But, the, but, right. There, are, but there are cases where they don't know who they are. And, and there was one story that really got to me. There was a woman who was in her room and she was talking to someone in the room the night before. So see, one of the nurses goes in to talk to her and the woman says, well, there's a little girl in a white dress here. And she doesn't recognize who this little girl is. The woman ends up passing away. The next day, she tells the family. And the daughter says to her, that's interesting. So many people in my family have seen this little girl in the white dress before they passed. But yet they don't know who she is. So um, I don't know. I can't explain that. I mean, maybe, maybe she's an angelic figure. Maybe... She's a spirit guide. I mean, uh, who knows? But most of the yeah. cases that I, you know, the people that I've met, those are people that they know. Very rarely do you hear, oh, I, I didn't know who that person was, you know? Well, a room full of people, and she doesn't know any of them. Yeah. But, but she sees them very, very clearly, or she did. I don't know if she still sees them, but there was a period of, I would say, several days where she kept saying they're standing right there how you don't see them they're just standing right there well Suzanne and, how did they know that how did she know that they were deceased these people uh she did not know they were deceased okay. she thought there were a lot of people in her apartment and you know she's not really taking any psychotropic drugs of any kind um she's on little or no medication so this was just something that she saw and, uh, and, and she thought they were really there. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories that I've heard again from that website, allnurses.com, there was a patient who was constantly hitting the call button, the call button, the call button, and would annoy the heck out of the 
you know, the nurses and the people at the nursing station. So at one point, the gentleman passes away and it takes a while for them to come get his body and whatever. So finally, you know, his body is taken away. They're at the nurse's station and there's nobody in his room, but all of a sudden you see the room light, light up. The call button's going off, the call button's going off, but there's nobody in the room. So there's a, there's a nurse there who is very spiritual. So she storms down to the room and she says, uh, whatever, I don't know what his, his name was, but let's say George, you know, uh, George, you have died, go to the light, go to the light. And all of a sudden it stops. The call, the call button stops going off. That, mm. that, that's pretty remarkable when you think about it, you know, on, on cue, you know? Yeah. Stop, yes. stop. Yeah. Have you ever had an oven timer go up? Oh, but that's, <laughs> that's a story I've told too many times. <laughs> we are going to take our break. This is an engrossing, not to say gross, but it's an engrossing and very engaging conversation. For you, the living, this show was meant to. Just tell them Manson Mitchell sent you. We'll send you into a break. We'll be gone two to three minutes. And when we come back, we're going to take up this subject and maybe widen the aperture a little bit. There's so much to look at when we talk about the kind of material we discuss with Josie Barga every time she joins us. So give us that time, and when we come back, we will let you know how you can get a hold of Josie's several books and get in contact with her personally, probably online. We are Manson Mitchell. You are tuned in to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine, with all your itinerary, we could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Josie Varga. Josie, we have a a little section of our library which is dedicated to your books. Uh, They are all wonderful, wonderful reads. And I wanted you to let our listeners know what is your website, what's the titles of your books, and um, anything else that you would like to share. Uh, my website is Josie, J-O-S-I-E, Varga, V-A-R-G-A dot com. Uh, my books, uh, Footprints in the Sand is the first book that I wrote. And Footprints in the Sand deals with my life and uh, how I was born with cerebral palsy. And, you know, basically the lessons I learned in my life. And then I wrote, um, oh, and uh, interestingly, the last part of that book is an epilogue devoted to a man named Rich. And that book is actually the reason that we are sitting here right now. Uh, But, you know, really, because in the epilogue of that book, uh, I talked about Rich and a, a very personal message that he had sent out to his friends and coworkers about the importance of life. And then when he came to me in a dream, he thanked me for mentioning him in that book. So again, if I did not write for Prince in the Sand, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. <laughs> so um, everything happens for a reason. So I went from Footprints in the Sand to writing Visits from Heaven, um, I wrote Make Up Your Mind to Be Happy, and then uh, Visits to Heaven, which is about near-death experiences, Divine Visits, which is about angel- you know, angelic and divine encounters, uh, and then A Call from Heaven, which is uh, the latest book. You're a very prolific writer. Are you, are you working on anything else? I'm working on a, the going title, the acting title is Before and After Life. Because, you know, interestingly, what people don't realize, if we say there's an after, well, then there has to be a before. Think about that. You know, if we say there's an after, there has to be a before. You know, um, what, I, what I realize is that in the end, there is no end. Okay? Right. It, it's like we're, we're, we're continuous. We go from from one life to the other. So that book basically is a combination of all of my research through the years. You know, I talk about everything from afterlife communication to near-death experiences, to deathbed phenomena, to divine encounters, to reincarnation, you know. Um, and the, the reason I wrote that book is I believe there is more evidence for the afterlife than against it. So I present all of my evidence and why I believe what I do. Oh, well, correctly, why I know what I know. There you go. Yeah, very good. A basis for belief, yes. 
a couple of things. Okay, let's let's because you just mentioned it, so I would like to get into that for a moment. If I go to one or another groups that are available on Facebook, and there's a trove of stories if you know where to look. I was reading just last night, Josie, about people whose children will talk about missing their grandparents who died perhaps years before they were born. Exactly. A daughter said to her mother, pointing to a picture of her grandmother, her maternal grandmother, pointing and saying, I miss her. And she gets weepy. And her mother said, well, honey, you know, that's, that's my mother. You know, you never knew her. No, no, no. Before I was born, I knew her. We used to talk. <laughs> I get goosebumps, <laughs> you know, wait a minute no. here. What's going on? <laughs> this idea of connection and choosing and being born and then remembering that to mm-hmm. me, yes, it's bizarre, but it's also heartwarming. It there is. are so many of these stories out there. It, it, to the point where you can't deny them, you know, uh, you know, being raised Roman Catholic, reincarnation is not something I ever thought about, you know. In my mind, uh, at least the nuns would tell me, you die, you go to heaven, that's it. But that's not the, that's not the case, okay? So I talk about reincarnation in the book, although it's sometimes I'd rather not believe in reincarnation, it's true. There's more, there's a, there's so much evidence for reincarnation, you can't deny it. The other thing I talk about in the book is something called a pre-birth experience, which is mm. something, okay? And I'll give you an example of what that is. So I went out to dinner with friends at one point, this is a true story. And I was working on, uh, I think it was a blog and I came across a story that about a woman who remembered something before she was born. She remembered being in the womb and things like that. I'm thinking to myself, oh, come on. Like that was, that was hard for me to grasp, you know? And all of a sudden my girlfriend's husband said to me, Josie, can I talk to you for a moment? So I'm like, okay. Pulls me over to the side and he said, I remember what it was like before I was born. And when he said that to me, I thought he was joking. You know, I thought he was being sarcastic because of what I said, but no, he was totally serious. He told me that he remembered meeting his brother, you know, knowing his brother before they decided to make this incarnation and come down. So it's like, you know, they say we, we travel in soul clusters, you know, um, like I might agree to come and be somebody's sister or mother or whatever, in order for them to learn a lesson. And they also say that about people who are disabled. You know, uh, I know that I would be doing the things that I do and I wouldn't be the person that I am had I not grown up with a disability. It's not, it's definitely not easy. And there are are days where I say, why me? (laughs) Trust me. but I'm grateful to be able to do what I do and help others. And I, I think if I didn't grow up with a disability, if I hadn't gone through all the things I've been through, I wouldn't have the ability to help as many people as I have. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And of course, you know, I had this spiritual experience, right? 
And that led me to write this book. But it's not just about the books, it's about the message. That's what I always say. It's it's not about me. It's about the message. It's about helping people understand that love never dies. I got a, a beautiful message from a woman, which is, it was so heartwarming that I'll never forget it. She said to me that she lost her husband. And she said, I just finished reading A Call From Heaven. And after each story, I found myself saying, oh my God, this really is true. This really is real. And she said, because of you, I can sleep tonight. And when I, when I read that, I mean, the tears just, just came down, you know, to me, that's what it's all about, helping others. I think you had a story about evidence, um, Gary, and, and I'm reminded in this about uh, the idea of these shiny dimes that have been left for me. And it seems to happen fairly regularly. I was just at the grocery store this past week and I got out of my car and, and I'm looking at my surroundings. I'm not unaware of my surroundings and I'm, I'm looking at it and making sure the car door is locked. I got my grocery bag out of the back seat. I'm, I'm looking at the ground. There's nothing there. And when I return, there is a shiny dime right in front of the driver's door. So I, you know, this has happened frequently enough where I say to myself, now, can it actually be that people who are getting in the car next to me are dropping a single dime next to my car door? I mean, logically, that that could be. But when it happens with some frequency, and it's the same kind of coin, and, and it and it it happens regularly, I say to myself, I do feel like somebody is trying to say hello. And so when you're looking for evidence, I would call that evidence just well, to see coins there. Did you look at the date? And because that's what you know, you should do whenever you I, I have and and some of these have been very new, like 2021 dimes, uh, current right. year current year or last year's 2020, but the last couple were this year's dimes. Well, what, what happened to me, Gary and I spoke a little bit about this on the phone. Um, this year will be the 10 year anniversary for my visits from heaven group. So I had the other day realized, oh my God, you know, it's going to be 10 years for the group. Um, I really should do something special. And with that, I thought of Rich, you know, the man who died in the September 11th attacks. All of a sudden, I go to get in the car, I look down, I see a dime. And I had seen dimes, but I didn't, you know, pay much attention to it. But when I saw this one, I thought, hmm, is it is it a coincidence that I keep seeing these dimes? So I pick up the dime, Suzanne. I look at the date on the dime. It's a 2001 dime right so 10 years for visits from heaven 2001 the year that rich mm -hmm. died obviously mm -hmm. so that to me um was very significant you know is everything that we see if we see you know dimes or pennies are they a sign every single time no they're not but it depends on you know what's what's happening like for me 
to, to recognize that Visits from Heaven is gonna be celebrating the 10 year anniversary, the, the group, you know, and to acknowledge Rich in that thought, and then to go to the car and find a dime in a 2001, you know, is that a coincidence? No, I, to me, that was a very significant sign. And I'm, I have a feeling he's going to continue uh, to send me those signs. And my godmother, she died uh, in February in 2010. And she's another one. She's constantly sending me dimes. You know, if I, if I ask her for a sign, uh, I'll find a dime. Now, usually when they know that you recognize a sign as being from them, oftentimes they will repeat it. Okay. I would love for you to tell the story. I call it the O. Henry story, though it's not O. Henry, the short story writer <laughs> of renown. They're Henry. It's a story told by Dr. Bruce Grayson. And yes. I would love for you to tell us and our listeners about that. It is remarkable. Dr. Uh, Bruce Grayson um, just wrote a book called After, and it chronic chronicles his more than 50 years of research. And I'm one of his biggest fans. He's, he's a wonderful person, and I, I deeply admire his work. So when I was reading his book, there's uh, a story that he mentions about a patient named Henry. So, you know, here is Dr. Bruce Grayson, who's a new doctor, you know, and he's very evidence-based. And all of a sudden he goes into a room and he says he has a difficult time looking at the patient because one side of the patient's face is all stitched up. You know, very, very difficult time looking at this patient. He comes to find out it was a t an attempted suicide. The patient, his wife left him, his father passed away. And then a few months before that, his mother passed away. And he goes to the cemetery. He lays on the grave where his mom and dad were located. He takes a rifle, he puts the rifle up to his chin and he pulls the trigger, which, which missed his brain somehow and blew off you know, one side of his face. So Dr. Grayson is talking to him and interviewing him. And for some reason, this patient is very positive, despite the fact that he's sitting there now with half a face with a failed suicide attempt. And he comes to find out, he says, well, I saw my mother and father. And he said, his mother looked at him and said, oh, Henry, what have you done? You know, she said, oh, Henry, what have you done? And he said, all of a sudden, he found himself back in the cemetery and a grave digger discovered him and drove him to the hospital. But he, you know, when he talked to him about his mental state at that time, he was positive. He was, you know, looking forward to life at that point. And when he asked him why, it was because, well, I saw my mother and father. You know, I know that life continues. I, do, I don't see things the same way. And that's, that's a typical reaction, even for me, you know, if, if you would have said to me, you know, 20 plus years ago, uh, oh, Josie, you're going to be, you know, an afterlife expert, you're going to write about life after death, I would have said, yeah, sure. You know, it's not something that I, 
I, I wouldn't say I didn't believe. I, I always believed in life after death, um, but it's, it's different now. It, it just changes you. It changes how you see the world, you know? Um, and, and so I can totally understand this patient, Henry, and how it changed him. But I thought that was such a powerful story. That really, really got to me. And I told Bruce that and said, you know, think about that, Bruce. There he is. He blew half of his face away, but yet, you know, it's okay. I'm positive. I saw my mother and father. Well, you know, so, if, if they were going to be gone completely and forever, he wanted to be gone too. His wife had left him. His parents were deceased. And like, if they're gone, I'm going to be gone. And it, right. it is interesting, uh, Josie, when we've talked to mediums, um, so many of our acquaintance, the work that they do is very, very healing when they have an evidential message to give. And they say, I have, a, you know, the energy here of, you know, whoever it might be, father, mother, aunt, uncle, son, daughter, who, whatever the relationship is. And then they, they give the evidence and the message. You oftentimes see people weeping. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, they, yeah. they, the love is still there and, and they're not deceased in the, in the instance of like, they're never, they're, they're gone forever into, you know, the black hole. It's like, they're actually around. That's and, around and it's comforting. Yeah. Yes, it is. You know, Henry's case. Okay, my mother and father are still there. I'm going. He was healed in that sense. Exactly, he was healed in that sense. Yeah. Like I said, it it just really changes who you are. Changes your perception of reality, and you know, you know, why are we here, and all and all that. All those difficult questions. You know. Um, You realize if that incident had not happened. Stephen King would have to invent it. <laughs> mm. I mean, look at the bare facts of the case. That's a Stephen King novel right there. Yeah, yeah, mm. it is. Um, but really, it's it's just very interesting. And going back to uh, Bruce Grayson, there's another story about a girl. This is in the very beginning of the book. He talked about a girl who he's making his rounds. Again, he's a new doctor. I think it's like the first uh, two weeks that he was at the University of Virginia and this girl attempted suicide. So he goes into the room. She's completely out, you know. Then he goes into the waiting room to go talk to her roommate. Her roommate is telling him what happened. Prior to that, he had been in the cafeteria and he stained his tie he was eating spaghetti he said and he's got sauce on his tie and he didn't have time to change so he grabbed a lab coat to cover it right so anyway he goes in to see this girl she's out so he goes to talk to the roommate he decides okay you know i'll come back and talk to her in the morning goes back to the hospital walks into the room the girl who attempted suicide is now alert she said something to him very interesting. She said, oh, oh, you know, you're back. So she knew who he was and he was like, well, you know, how do you, how do you know who I am? And she says, I saw you last night. 
well, how did you, how'd you see me last night? You, you know, you were out last night. How did, how did you see me last night? She said, yeah, you, you had a stain on your tie. <laughs> that's, that's another. Oh my gosh. I know, right? I mean, yeah. um, that's so, evidence. That is it's, evidence. It's like, so it's funny. Yeah. My, my yeah. daughter, Erica, is going to be studying neuroscience. She's getting a PhD in mm. neuroscience wow. from, from UC Davis. Mm -hmm. And I had introduced Bruce Grayson to my daughter. And he said to me, oh, you know, your daughter is very intelligent. And I said, you know, thank you. So when I when I told him that she was getting her PhD in neuroscience, he said, "Oh, great!" He said, "We need somebody that can combine spirituality with the metaphysical." And mm. I said to and my my comment to Bruce Grayson at that time was, "Oh no no no, it's gonna take a Henry to get my daughter to do that because my daughter <laughs> <laughs> my daughter doesn't think that way." So. But that's right. what, what typically happens, you know? Um, yes. People have these experiences. Life-altering events, yeah. Yeah, and it just it leads them in a certain direction. You know, like, mm. I know that um, I am meant to do what I do, and I'm, I'm blessed to do it. You know, I, I always say that in everything that I do, whether it's a radio interview or or a television broadcast or whatever, whatever it is. If I can help just one person, if I can get through to just one person, well, then I have done my job, you know? And you continue to do your job and so very well. Please tell people where they can find you on Facebook. You have a wonderful group. I have a group called Visits from Heaven. There's a open group and a closed group. And I also have another group called Proof of the Afterlife. Um, have a lot of wonderful members who share their experiences and they help people understand that they are not alone. So I'm, I'm very grateful for each and every one of those members because without them, obviously, there would be no group. And also the, the same thing holds for my books. For the people who share their experiences with me, I am extremely grateful. Again, without them, there would be no book. You know, I give, and people want a forum, you know, they want to be able to share their experiences. And over the years, I, I'm, I'm seeing that more and more, you know, as more uh, information gets out about the, the metaphysical, I'm finding that more and more. Mm. Josie Varga, we are so thrilled every time you join us, my friend, thank we will you. do this again for sure. Yes, thank uh, you. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. Coming up next, Jupiter rising, Jupiter rises again, Eileen Grimes will be in the house. Thanks so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back 10am Pacific. And at that time, adjust your time zone, but well, you don't have to adjust the zone, just be adjusted to it. And we're talking about 1150 kknw.com for the live stream whenever Manson Mitchell are on the air Fridays and Saturdays. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>